the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. North Dakota, South Dakota, or Utah. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I want to share just a couple of Bible passages with you. And then I'm going to answer a couple questions that came in yesterday on our live chat. And the live chat is up and you're welcome to to comment there or ask questions. The title of the broadcast today is The Staff of Jesus is Dry in America. I referred yesterday to the to the dry stick that is the gospel in America. A false gospel has taken over our entire nation almost a hundred percent. I come crying out against this false gospel. And I too am a dry stick with very little response. An evangelist said he went to Fresno and did an evangelistic campaign and a thousand people responded and were born again and saved. Well, no, they weren't. A thousand people may have responded, but he led them through a sinner's prayer, which is not biblical. And he led them in the broad road, not the narrow path, not the narrow gate, not the suffering gate. He brought them in the broad way. So they are welcomed into the house of the Lord. But the stick of the gospel is all dried up in America. And a different Jesus is now being taught. That's why the Lord told me very specifically by the Spirit that I had to teach and preach Romans, the sixth chapter. Verse 5, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, it does not say if we've been united together in the likeness of his resurrection. It is being brought into his death. It is being crucified with Christ. Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. We want the resurrection, but we don't want the death and the dying. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. But the modern church says you can live with Jesus and continue to walk in your sin, and you're saved. Saved from what? Certainly not saved from sin. And so the modern church teaches that we enter into the resurrection without suffering the crucifixion. So we enter into the resurrection with the old man alive and well. And so the church looks like the world because the world moved into the church. 
Now, some of you asked me the question yesterday, what about John Bunyan? Do you agree with John Bunyan as he speaks about imparted grace or imputed grace? That's not a real easy question to answer, and I need to give you some evidence before I quickly answer that question. But what I want you to know is that this book by Bunyan is a very old book. It was published the first time in the 1600s, 1660. And it has been printed more than any other book, save the Bible itself. And the old-time preachers would not think of preaching a sermon without having some reference to John Bunyan. He was a staple. Now, what I want you to recognize today as I share these things is that John Bunyan would be in total disagreement with the modern church. Yes, he was a Reformed Baptist, but he was a holiness Reformed Baptist. George Whitfield was also Reformed in theology. And there were those who tried to stir up a fight between he and John Wesley. And so they wrote back and forth to each other and totally settled the argument around the issue of imputed or imparted grace by saying, whether it's imputed or imparted, we must be holy to enter into heaven in truth, in reality, not a fictional grace, but real grace. And so John Wesley and George Whitfield came into total agreement on the necessity of holiness in the life. Jonathan Edwards, a great reformed pastor of the past, would totally agree and would be in total disagreement with the modern church teaching that goes forth even on this radio station and on the FM band. I'm the only one on the AM or FM band who is teaching what the old church believed about righteousness. So I want to read for you from the book Pilgrim's Progress as they talk together about what the real gospel is. And you'll see that what I'm teaching is in full agreement with what John Bunyan taught. Now, we use two different words. I use imparted, and he uses imputed. But the end result is identical. Salvation is a free gift. It's not something I can earn. It is given to me by Jesus Christ. And it totally regenerates and restores and makes me into a new creature. Not by works, but by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit as I cooperate with him and allow him to convict me, cause me to repent, and turn from my wickedness. Now, 
the Lord has told me that I'm to preach Romans, the sixth chapter. What I'm going to share with you today is Romans, the sixth chapter. And he told me that I was to call the church in America to be crucified with Christ, to be baptized, to die out, where they could not enter into glory. And he said, speak tenderly to my church. Tell them what they must do. And he promised that the Holy Spirit would begin to give life to the staff of Jesus and that it would bud and blossom and bear the fruit of righteousness in America. I stand by faith he will do that. Christian and and hopeful, <coughs> pardon me, are having a discussion. Let's listen in. Christian began saying, I will ask you a question, hopeful. What made you decide to start this journey? that is, the journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city. Do you mean to ask how I first became concerned about the condition of my soul? Hopeful question. Yes, that's what I mean. Hopeful began, for a very long time I was delighted with all the things that you could see and buy at Vanity Fair. I'm certain that had I continued in this way, I would have been drowned in perdition and destruction. Well, what kind of things are you talking about? All the treasures and riches of the world, Hopeful said. Also, I delighted in rioting and reveling and drinking and swearing and lying and uncleanness and all the other things that destroy the soul. But one day I began to hear and consider things that are that are divine, which I heard from you and the beloved faithful who was put to death for his faith and the testimony of his good life in Vanity Fair. I was convinced that the end of these things is death and that for these things' sake cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. And did you immediately come under the power of this conviction? Oh, no, I was not immediately willing to acknowledge the evil of sin or the damnation that follows sinning. When my mind began to be stirred up by the word, I tried to shut my eyes to the truth of it. Well, what kept you from understanding that God was working through his blessed Holy Spirit to bring you to himself? Well, the reasons are as follows. First of all, I was ignorant that this was the work of God in my life. Since I never imagined that God begins his work of conversion in a sinner's life by awakening him to his sin. Then there was the appeal that sin still held over my flesh. I was reluctant to abandon it. Another reason I refused then to repent is that I did not want to part ways 
with my old companions whose company and entertainment were very desirable to me. And finally, the times in which I came under the conviction of sin were so troublesome and so frightening that I did everything I could to cast these times out of my memory. Then there were times when you were not troubled in your mind and soul. Oh, yes, Hopeful said, that is true. But it would creep back into my mind, and then my soul would be as troubled as it was before, or even worse. Well, what was it that brought your sins to mind again? Well, many things, such as the following. If I met a a good man in the streets, or if I heard the Bible being read, or if my head ached, or if I was told that some of my neighbors were sick, or if I heard the bell toll for the dead, or if I thought I was dying myself, or if I heard about someone's sudden death, and lastly, the thing that brought my sin to mind and troubled my soul worse than all of these was that I thought to myself that I must quickly come to judgment. (coughs) Pardon me. And when these things reminded you of your sin, Christian stated, could you not find relief from the sense of guilt that your sin caused? No, I could not. If I even thought about returning to one of my previous sins, my conscience would torment me. Well, then what did you think? I thought about changing my ways, afraid that if I did not, I would be damned. And did you try to change your ways? Oh, yes. Not only did I flee from my sin and from sinful company also, I took up religious duties such as prayer and Bible reading and weeping for my sin and speaking the truth to my neighbors and so on. I did all these things and many others too, too numerous to relate. And did this give you peace of mind? Yes, for a while. But the end, my my troubles came tumbling back upon me again despite all my reformation. How did that come about since you were now reformed? Well, several things brought it about. I began to read in my Bible where it says things like, All our righteousness is as filthy rags. And by the works of the law shall no man be justified. And when we shall have done all these things, say, We are unprofitable. And many other such sayings. Then I began to reason with myself. If all of my righteousness is as filthy rags, if by the deeds of the law no man can be justified, and if when we have done all we can do, we remain still unprofitable, then it's folly to think I will enter heaven by keeping the law. It also occurred to me that if a man runs a hundred pounds into debt with a shopkeeper, and then begins to pay cash for everything else he purchases, while leaving the old debt unpaid, the shopkeeper can rightfully sue him and cast him into prison until he pays all of his past debt. Well, how did you apply this to yourself, Christian asked? Why, I thought about how great a debt of sin I'd run up in God's book. 
and how even if I reformed myself, I could not pay off the past debt. So how could I be freed from the damnation that I brought upon myself by my former transgressions? A good application, said Christian. Go on. Well, another thing that troubled me is that when I carefully looked into my new best efforts, I saw that they were still mixed up with sin. I was forced to conclude that even if I could conceivably ignore all past sins, including the sin of pride and conceit, I had in myself, because of my former good deeds, I have committed enough sin in one of my most recent good duties to send me to hell, even if my former life had been somehow found faultless. What, what did you do then? Do? I couldn't figure out what to do until I shared my concern with Faithful, for he and I were well acquainted. He told me that unless I could obtain the righteousness of a man who had never sinned, neither my own righteousness nor all the righteousness of the world could save me. Did you think he spoke the truth? Had he told me this when I was pleased and satisfied with my reformed life, I would have called him a fool for his pains. But since I was now aware of my own weakness and the sin that cleaves to my best performance, I was forced to believe his opinion. But did you think when he suggested it to you that there was a man of whom it might justly be said that he never committed any sin? I must confess that the words sounded strange at first, but after keeping company and talking with faithful, I fully believed that, was, that there was such a man. And did you ask him who this man was and how you could be justified by him? I want to stop just a moment. The word justified is an old English word. And the old English words meaning was to make righteous. I want to be very clear with you. In the Greek, the word translated justified for the New Testament is dikasune, and it means to make righteous. Now, in the Old Testament, the same word meaning was to cover but Hebrews, the 10th chapter, is very clear that bulls and goats could never remove our sin, and so they were covered. But the blood of Jesus removes our sin. Paul also means that when he says, you must die with Christ, you must be crucified. The old man must die. And if the old man is dead, because it can't reform itself. It can only participate in some of the good works. And you recognize that most in the body of Christ today have reformed their pagan hearts, but they have never entered into Jesus Christ. And this is what must change in America. And this is what will cause the staff of Jesus to burst into blossom and bear fruit when the Holy Spirit begins to get a hold of a man or a woman.
and turn their heart. But it is the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, Hopeful replied. He told me it was the Lord Jesus who sits on the right hand of the Most High. He told me that I could be justified or made righteous by him if I would trust in what he himself had done in the days when he lived on the earth, when he suffered and hung on the tree. I asked him how that man's righteousness could be effective to justify another before God. Faithful replied that Jesus was the mighty God, having done what he did and dying the shameful death, not for himself, but for me who deserved it instead. If I would believe in him and what he had done for me, then his worthiness would be imputed to me. Well, let's stop a moment. You can already know by what I've read to you that John Bunyan believed in being made righteous. The question is, how is a man made righteous? And if you read more with me of Bunyan, you would find that a man is made righteous by Jesus Christ as a free gift when we are crucified with Christ, when we enter into the death of Christ, we then can be brought into the resurrection of Jesus. And we are done with sin. Now, just as a philosophical matter, it is impossible for one man to give his righteousness imputing to another. Jesus imparts real righteousness to us as evidenced by what I'm reading that Bunyan believed that a man was made righteous. What then did you do? Hopeful said, I objected to his argument because I thought the man was not willing to save me from my sins. So how did Faithful reply to that? He told me that to go to him and see for myself and I objected that it would be presumptuous but he said not to be for I had been invited to come and then he gave me the book of Jesus to encourage me to freely come to Jesus faithful told me that the words of this book including the smallest detail stood firmer than heaven and earth then I asked him what must I do when I come to him he answered I must plead upon my knees with all my heart and soul that the Father reveal Jesus to me. Then I asked him further, how must I make my supplication to him? And he said that if I go to him, I would find him upon the mercy seat where he sits all the year long to give pardon and forgiveness to those who come. I told him that I didn't know what to say when I came. Faithful told me to say the words to this effect, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and make me to know and believe in Jesus Christ. For I see that if righteousness had not been offered, or if I had no faith in that righteousness, I am utterly cast away by, by the Lord. I've heard 
that you are a merciful God and have ordained that your Son, Jesus Christ, should be the Savior of the world. Moreover, you are willing to give him for a poor sinner like me, and I am a sinner indeed. Lord, take therefore this opportunity and magnify your grace in the salvation of my soul through your Son, Jesus Christ. So did you do what he asked you to do? Oh, yes. Right then and many times over. And did the Father reveal his Son to you? Well, not at first, nor the second, nor the third, nor the fourth, nor the fifth. No, nor the sixth. Well, what did you do? I didn't know what to do. Did you think that you might stop praying? Yes, a hundred times. And what was the reason you did not? I believed that what Faithful had told me was true. Without the righteousness of this Christ, all the world could not be saved. Therefore, I thought to myself, if I stop praying, I will die. And only wish to die at the throne. And I only wish to die at the throne of grace. You get that. Again, it takes us to Romans, the sixth chapter. You have to die at the throne of grace. And it doesn't usually happen with one request. It doesn't happen with a polite little sinner's prayer. It takes time, weeping, searching the soul, confessing the sin, And with these words that came into my mind, though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. So I continued praying until the Father showed me his Son. If you read the book by Reese Howells, The Intercessor by Norman Grubb, you'll find the same thing. The old-timers all believed that if you would go to Jesus and you would Confess your sins and ask to have the Father reveal Jesus to you. Not the first time, not the second, not the third. You have to tarry. That's why John Wesley set up the mourner's bench. You have to cry out to Jesus. Now, I do want to share one thing. Mike sent me a, a message on the on the webpage today saying it took him a year. I think it was um, another one of you, Kylie, who said it took her a year. It does not need to take a year to die out. But it depends on how serious we are and how intently we pursue this with Jesus. Some die out and have it finished in an hour. Some who have walked in deep sin, it may take a week. I know what's going to happen soon as the staff of Jesus begins to bud with almonds. I know that what's going to happen 
is that people are going to become very, very serious about their soul's condition. And there will be much weeping and crying. There will be much much fear as they see their salvation slipping away. And they will cry out to the Lord. That only happens as the Holy Spirit comes and begins to reveal to us the fullness of our sinful condition. Some of you have no clue about your sinful condition. You think you're fine, you're on your way, you're saved, but you came in by the way of the broad road. You've got to go back and come in through the narrow gate, the suffering gate, the groaning gate, where you finally deal honestly with God about your sin. And you die out to this modern church. I've invited you to come to the National Prayer Chapel. That's a fearful thing for many of you who live in the Washington, D.C. area because you really don't want to get that serious about your sin because you know if you come to the prayer chapel, we're going to immediately begin to deal with you on the question of your sinfulness. Because we want you to see Jesus and be made righteous and join with us in praying and crying aloud for God to save this city. So Christian asks, hopeful, how was he revealed to you? Well, I did not see him with my bodily eyes, but with the eyes of my understanding. And it happened like this. One day I was very sad, probably sadder than ever before. And this sadness resulted from a fresh glimpse of the great depth and vileness of my sins. I was expecting nothing but hell and the everlasting damnation of my soul. Suddenly, I saw the Lord Jesus look down from heaven upon me and say, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. But I replied, Lord, I am a great and very great sinner. He answered, My grace is sufficient for you. But I said, But Lord, what is believing? Then I understood from the scripture that believing and coming were the same thing. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Thus those who have come to Jesus who have run wholeheartedly to Christ for salvation, have indeed believed in Christ. And then I wept, and I asked again, Lord, will you indeed accept and save even such a great sinner as I am? And I heard him say, He that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Then I asked, but how can I know that my faith is truly placed upon you? And he said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. 
He died for our sins and rose again for our justification. He loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He is the mediator between God and man. He ever lives to make intercession for us. From all of this, I understood that I must look for righteousness in his person and for sanctification for my sins by his blood. I must believe that what he did in obedience to the Father's law in submitting to the penalty of sin was not for himself, but for him who will accept it for his salvation and be thankful. Finally, my heart was full of joy, my eyes full of tears, and my affections running over with love for the name, the people, and the ways of Jesus Christ. This was a revelation of Christ to your soul indeed, Christian confirmed. But tell me also, what what particular effect has this had upon your spirit? Hopeful said, It made me consider that this world, notwithstanding all the good things and noble deeds in it, is in a state of condemnation. It made me see that God the Father, though he is perfectly just, and thus must punish all sin, can rightly justify the sinner who comes to him in his Son. It made me greatly ashamed of the vileness of my former life and confounded me with the sense of my own ignorance. I want you to notice what he's saying. He's saying, It made me greatly ashamed of the vileness of my former life. Not current life. He's no longer walking in sin. Did Christian make mistakes on this journey? Yes, and ended up in the in the dungeon with the giant. And many, according to Bunyan, did not escape that and died. But he held the promises of God and walked out of that jail and escaped from the giant despair. He writes, it makes me greatly ashamed of the vileness of my former life and confounded me with a sense of my own ignorance. It is, first, a vileness of life, and secondly, it is an ignorance in our hearts that prevent us from fleeing to the Father for salvation in Jesus Christ. For until that moment, I had never once been filled with the thoughts of the beauty of Jesus Christ. It made me love a holy life and long to do something for the honor and glory of the name of the Lord Jesus. Yea, I thought that if I had now a thousand gallons of blood in my body, I could spill it all for the sake of the Lord Jesus. That's from Pilgrim's Progress. I wanted to read it to you so that you could hear it a different way than what I say. But he's saying the same thing. 
that we come to the Father through Jesus. We come with our sin. We come in our ignorance and the vileness of our heart. And as we die out to that, as we are crucified with Christ, we enter into life and the joy of the salvation of the Lord. And it's not burdensome. It's not hard. God is not a hard man. He said his his yoke was easy. His burden was light. It's sin that's heavy. It's wickedness that is heavy. It crushes us. Now, I'm just hearing in the Spirit, I've not planned this, but I'm hearing in the Spirit that there are some of you right now who need to begin this journey to crucifixion. And I'm going to ask you, if you're on the YouTube, go to the live chat and just put in, Pastor, pray for me. I will begin the journey towards salvation, real salvation, not not the false gospel of our modern church. But you're saying today, I am willing to be crucified with Christ and I will seek his face until that crucifixion is finished and I am done. I'm just hearing there's some of you today who are at that point where you're truly ready to begin the journey to Jesus. You're tired of a guilty conscience. You're tired of the, of the vile wickedness of your heart. <clears throat> You're tired of going back to the same old, same old sin time after time. Would you testify to that that you will now seek Jesus with all of your heart? Until you are fully crucified with Christ. Go to the live chat and just leave a message. I don't need your name. Just just go to the live chat and say, I made that decision. I'm not saying you're saved when you make that decision. You're not. You've begun the crucifixion. And when that's finished, you'll enter into the joy of the Lord. Now, some of you call yourselves Christians. In fact, many of you do but you know you're still walking in sin. It's because you've not been crucified with Christ. When you are crucified with Christ, you are made righteous and you are set free from your sin. I'd like to pray with you, please. Lord, we're almost out of time for this broadcast today. I just want to come before your throne and lift up to you the many men and women listening to this broadcast who have still not yet been crucified with you. They call themselves Christians, but they came via the broad road, not the narrow path. And Lord, today they've heard very clearly that they need to go back to the narrow gate, the suffering gate, the groaning gate, 
where they finally make the decision to fully give their life into your hands and ask you to make them righteous, to impart to them the true gift of salvation, that they must be crucified with you, Jesus, before they can enter into your resurrection. And Lord, I know that many listening to this broadcast today have entered in, they think, to your resurrection, but they never entered into your death. They have not been crucified with you, Jesus. They're still full of arrogance and pride. They're still full of offense. They have no peace in their hearts. And if they do have peace, it's a false peace. They have done their best to reform themselves. They have fought with temptation and with sin. Lord, I'm asking, would you extend your mercy and begin to reveal to each of those precious ones the vileness of their own personal heart and the wickedness that will cause them to be damned and go to hell, even while calling themselves Christians. Well, Lord, I know that no one can enter into the kingdom of God who has not been crucified with you. I know those who have come in through the broad road will face destruction. Now, Lord, I'm praying. I'm praying for all of those listening to this broadcast and all of those who will listen on the Internet, all of those who will listen to the podcast, Lord, we desperately need you to step in. For, Lord, your staff is dry and almost totally barren in America. And, Lord, we're facing such crisis. But I know you love your church. And I know there are men and women who entered via the broad road who love you, Jesus, in a way. But now I'm asking you to save them, Lord. I'm asking you to bring such a heavy conviction upon their heart and such a revelation of your glory and your righteousness that everything of their heart would be totally exposed and made plain to them, that they would flee to you, Jesus, for salvation. That the lies that they've been told by the modern church would be utterly broken and done away with. Oh, Lord, I thank you for those precious men and women that I know are listening who have been crucified with you. And you have poured your righteousness into their lives. And they do have your peace. Lord, I'm asking that you would strengthen them, that you would encourage them, 
that you would call them deeper into yourself, Jesus. Some like that have backslidden and they've become lukewarm and you're about to spit them out if they don't return to their first love. Lord, you said to the church at Ephesus, you have lost your first love. I know in the spirit that some of those listening today, Jesus, have lost their first love for you. They were crucified with you. They have followed you. But they're casual. They're comfortable with the modern church. They left their first love. There's no ardent expression of joy, no ardent expression of, oh God, have mercy upon me. Lord, they're not crying out to you, they're casual. They're diddlers. A little of this and a little of that. Pray about this a little bit. Pray about that a little bit. But never going into the depths of intercession and laying before you and weeping over America. Lord, I'm asking that you would awaken those precious ones who have left their first love. And I ask that you would return them to the glorious love they had at first when they were crucified with you. Oh God, I know that if you don't come, they will be lost. For in the times coming, a man or woman who's casual about you, even though once they walked with you, they will be deceived and will drift away and they will be lost. Lord, I cry for your mercy today. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Ray Greenley. This is Pilgrim's Progress. I need you. If this broadcast is of value to you. I need you to support it financially so that I can continue on this radio broadcast. I only continue as Jesus moves in the hearts of his people to give. And I'm very grateful. Several people. Twyla Belmont. Alberta. I could name many others. Mike Reagan, Delip, many of you have, have given this month. And so we were able to play, pay last month's radio bill, but we're way, way behind for this month. We're already 10 days in and, well, please, as the Holy Spirit calls you, if you believe this gospel message and you believe it needs to go out over this city, would you step in? You can give by going to nationalprayerchapel.com and you can give online. Or you can write to me. And I love getting letters. I go to the post office to check every day. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, 
Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And if you're on YouTube, would you subscribe to our channel? The more who subscribe, the broader Google will send, and many find us by going to Google. So would you, would you subscribe? I know that Jesus is very concerned. I know he's very concerned about the American church. And he's told me very clearly what my assignment is. I know what the Spirit is saying to the church. Yes, the Spirit is saying to the church that this election is in the hands of Jesus and we will watch as he works a miracle. But I also know that Jesus is saying to the church, you must be crucified with me. You cannot enter into the resurrection until you have entered into the death. So, will you allow the Holy Spirit to begin the process of bringing you fully into the death of Jesus? that you could be brought fully into the resurrection. My brother, my sister, we're out of time. I would love to meet you, and I'm praying that soon I can announce a time and place where we could meet. I'd like to have some time just to meet each of you and to pray with you, to give you a hug, to stand by faith for what Jesus is doing in this city as he brings revival, and he is in the process of bringing revival. It looks like a dried-out stick, but it's not. My brother, my sister, I love you. I entrust you into the hands of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. The film America.